0: Chapter 13, Part 2 of Vandover and the Brute. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Vandover and the Brute by Frank Norris. Chapter 13, Part 2 Long before the party broke up, Vandover had gone home, stunned and dazed, as yet hardly able to realise the meaning of what had happened. Some strange and dreadful change had taken place. Things were different. People were different to him. Not everyone had been so outspoken as Turner, Henrietta Vance, and her mother, but even amongst others who had talked him politely and courteously enough, The change was no less apparent. It was in the air, a certain vague shrinking and turning of the shoulders, a general atmosphere of aversion and repulsion, an unseen frown, an unexpressed rebuff, intangible, elusive, but as unmistakable as his own existence. The world he had known knew him now no longer. It was ostracism at last but why? Why? Sitting over his tiled flamboyant stove, brooding into the winking coals, Vandover asked himself the question in vain. He knew what latitude young men were allowed by society. He was sure nothing short of discovered crime could affect them. True enough, he had, at one time, allowed himself to drift into considerable dissipation. But he was done with that now. He had reformed he had turned over a new leaf even at his worst he had only lived the life of the other young men around him the other young men who were received as much as ever even though people the girls themselves practically knew of what they did knew that they were often drunk and that they frequented the society of abandoned women what had he done to merit this casting off what could he have done he even went so far as to wonder if there was anything wrong about his father or his sudden death. A little after one o'clock he heard Geary's whistle in the street outside. "'Hello, old man!' he cried as Vandover opened the window. "'I was just on my way home from the hoedown, saw a light in your window, and thought I'd call you up. "'Say, have you got anything wet up there? I'm extra dry.' "'Yes,' said Vandover. "'Come on up.' "'Did you hear what Beale said to me this evening?' said Geary as he mixed himself a cocktail at the sideboard. Oh, I tell you, I'm getting right in, down at that office. Beale wants me to take the place of one of the assistants in the firm, a fellow who's got the consumption, coughing up his lungs all the time. It's an important place, hundred a month. That's right. Yes, sir, you bet. I'm going to get in and rustle now, and make myself so indispensable in that fellow's place that they can't get along without me. I'll crowd him right out. I know it may be selfish, but damn it, that's what you have to do to get along. It's human nature. I'll tell you right here tonight, he exclaimed with sudden energy, clenching his fist and slowly rapping the knuckles on the table to emphasize each word, that I'll be the head of that firm some day, or I'll know the reason why. When Geary finally became silent, the two looked into the fire for some time without speaking. "'At last, Geary said, "'You came home early tonight, didn't you?' "'Yes,' answered Vandover, stirring uneasily. "'Yes, I did.' "'There was another silence. "'Then Geary said abruptly, "'It's too bad. "'They are kind of stinky-pinky to you.' "'Yes,' said Vandover with a grin. "'I don't know what's the matter. "'Everybody seems nasty. "'It's that business with Eda Wade, you know.' "'replied Geary. "'It got around somehow that she killed herself on your account. "'Everybody seems to be on it. "'I heard it, no oh, nearly a month ago.' "'Oh,' said Vandover with a short laugh. "'That's it, is it?' "'I was wondering.' "'Yes, that's it,' answered Geary. "'You see, they don't know for sure. "'No one knows. "'But, all at once, everyone seems to be talking about it, "'and they suspect an awful lot. "'I guess they are pretty near right, aren't they?' He did not wait for an answer, but laughed clumsily and went on. You see, you always have to be awfully careful in those things, or you'll get into a box. Ah, oh, you bet. I don't let any girl I go with know my last name or my address, if I can help it. I'm clever enough for that. You have to manage very carefully. Ah, <laughs> oh, you bet. You ought to have looked out for that old man. He paused a moment, and then went on. No, oh, I guess it'll be all right. All right. "'In a little while. They will forget about it, you know. "'I wouldn't worry. I guess it will be all right.' "'Yes,' answered Vandover absently. "'I guess so. Perhaps.' "'A few days later, Vandover was in the reading-room of the mechanics' library, "'listlessly turning over the pages of a volume of La Art. "'It was Saturday morning, and the place was full of ladies "'who were downtown for their shopping and marketing, "'and who had come in either to change their books or to keep appointments with each other. On a sudden, Vandover saw Turner just passing into the biography alcove. He got up and followed her. She was standing at the end of the dim book lined tunnel, searching the upper shelves, her head and throat bent back, and her gloved finger on her lip. The faint odour of the perfume she always affected came to him, mingled with the fragrance of the John Quills at her belt, and the smell of leather and of books that exhaled from the shelves on either side. He did not offer to take her hand, but came up slowly, speaking in a low voice. It was the last time that Vandover ever met Turner Revis. They talked for upward of an hour, leaning against the opposite bookshelves, Vandover with his fists in his pockets, his head bent down, and the point of his shoe tracing the pattern in the linoleum carpet. Turner, her hands clasped in front of her, looking him squarely in the face, speaking calmly and frankly. Now, I hope you see just how it is, Van, she said at length. What has happened hasn't made me cease to care for you, because if I had really cared for you the way I thought I did, the way a girl ought to care for the man she wants to marry, I would have stood by you through everything, no matter what you did. I don't do so now, because... I find I don't care for you as much as I thought I did. What has happened has only shown me that. I'm sorry, oh, so sorry to be disappointed in you, but it's because I only think of you as being once a very good friend of mine, not because I love you as you think I did. Once, a long time ago, when we first knew each other, then, perhaps, things were different then, but somehow we seem to have grown away from that. "'Since then we have both been mistaken. "'You thought I cared for you in that way, "'and I thought so too. "'And I thought you cared for me. "'But it was only that we were keeping appearances, "'pretending to ourselves just for the sake of old times. "'We don't love each other now, you know it. "'But I have never intentionally deceived you "'or tried to lead you on. "'When I told you I cared for you, "'I really thought I did. "'I meant to be sincere.' I always thought so until this happened. And then when I saw how easily I could let you go, it only proved to me that I did not care for you as I thought I did. It was wrong of me, I know, and I should have known my own mind before. But I didn't I didn't. You talk about Dolly Hate, but it is not Dolly Hate at all who has changed my affection for you. I will be just as frank as I can with you, Van. I may learn really to love Dolly Haight. I don't know. I think perhaps I will. But it isn't that I care for him just because I don't care for you. Can't you see? It's just as if I had never met you. You know, it's very hard for me to say this to you, Van, and I suppose it's all mixed up. But I can't help it. You don't know how sorry I am, because we have been such old friends. Because... "'I really did care for you as a friend. "'It's the proof of it "'that there is no other man in the world "'I could talk to like this. "'I think, too, Van, "'that was the only way you cared for me, "'just as a good friend, "'except perhaps at first, "'when we first knew each other. "'You know yourself that is so. "'We really haven't loved each other at all "'for a long time, "'and now we have found it out "'before it was too late.' And even if everything were different, Van, don't you know how it is with girls? They really love the man who loves them the most. Half the time they're just in love with being loved. That's the way girls love nowadays. And you know yourself, Van, that Tolly Haight really loves me more than you do. She gathered up her books and went on after a pause, straightening up, ready to go. If I should let myself think of what you have done, I feel... As if, as if, why, dreadful, I, that I should hate you, loathe you, but I try not to do that. I have been thinking it all over since the other night. I shall always try to think of you at your best. I have tried to forget everything else, and in forgetting it I forgive you. I can honestly say that, she said, holding out her hand. I forgive you, and you must forgive me, because once, by deceiving myself, I deceived you, and made you think that I cared for you in that way, when I didn't. As their hands fell apart, Turner faced him, and added, with tears in her eyes, You know, this must be good-bye for good. You don't know how it hurts me to tell you. I know it looks as if I were deserting you, when you were alone in the world, and had most need of someone to influence you for the good. Van, won't you be better now? Won't you break from it all and be your own self again? I have faith in you. I believe it's in you to become a great man, and a good man. It isn't too late to begin all over again. Just be your better self. Live up to the best that's in you. If not for your own sake, then for the sake of that other girl that's coming into your life sometime. But other girl who is good and sweet and pure, whom you will really, really love, and who will really, really love you. All the rest of that month, Vandover was wretched. So great was his shame and humiliation over this fresh disaster that he hardly dared to show himself out of doors. His grief was genuine, and it was profound. Yet he took his punishment in the right spirit. He did not blame anyone but himself. It was only a just retribution for the thing he had done. Only, what made it hard to bear was the fact that the chastisement had fallen upon him long after he had repented of the crime, long after he had resolved to lead a new and upright life. But, with shut teeth, he determined still to carry out that resolve. He would devote all his future life to living down the past. It might be hard, It might be one long struggle through many, many years, but he would do it. Ah, yes, he would show them. They had cast him off, but he would go away to Paris now, as he had always intended. As invariably happened when he was deeply moved, he turned to his art, blindly and instinctively. He would go to Paris now and study his paintings, five, ten years, and come back at last a great artist when these same people who had cast him off would be proud to receive him. Turner was right in saying that he had in him the making of a great man. He knew that she was right, knew that if he only gave the better part of him, the other Vandover, the chance, that he would become a great artist. Well, he would do so, and then, when he came back again, when all the world was at his feet, And there were long articles in the paper announcing his arrival. These people would throng around him. He would show them what a great and noble nature he really had. He would forgive them. He would ignore what they had done. He even dramatised the little scene between himself and Turner. Then Mrs. Haight. They would both be pretty old then, and he would take her children on his lap and look at her over their heads. He could almost see those heads, white, silky and very soft and he would nod at her thoughtfully, and say, "'Well, I have taken your advice. Do you remember?' And she was to answer, "'Yes, I remember.' There were actually tears in his eyes as he saw the scene. At the very first, he thought that he could not live without Turner, that he loved her too much to be able to give her up. But in a little while he saw that this was not so. She was right, too, in saying that he had long since outlived his first sincere affection for her. He had felt for a long time that he did not love her well enough to marry her, that he did not love her as young Haight did, and he acknowledged to himself that this affair at least had ended rightly. The two loved each other, he could see that. At last he even told himself that he would be glad to see Turner married to Dolly Haight, who was his best friend. But for all that, it came very hard at first, to give up Turner altogether, never to see her or speak to her again. As the first impressions of the whole affair grew dull and blunt by the lapse of time, this humble, penitential mood of Vandover's passed away, and was succeeded by a feeling of gloomy revolt, a sullen rage at the world that had cast him off only because he had been found out. He thought it a matter of self-respect to resent the insult they had put upon him. But, little by little, he ceased to regret his exile. The new life was not so bad as he had first anticipated, and his relations with the men whom he knew best, Ellis, Geary, and young Haight, were in no wise changed. He was no longer invited anywhere, and the girls he had known never saw him when he passed them on the street. It was humiliating enough at first, But he got used to it after a while, and by dint of thrusting the disagreeable subject from his thoughts, by refusing to let the disgrace sink deep in his mind, by forgetting the whole business as much as he could, he arrived, after a time, to be passably contented. His pliable character had again rearranged itself to suit the new environment. Along with this, however, came a sense of freedom. Now, He no longer had anything to fear from society. It had shot its bolt. It had done its worst. There was no longer anything to restrain him. Now he could do anything. He was in precisely this state of mind when he received the cards for the opening of the roadhouse, the resort, out on the almshouse drive, about which Toby, the waiter at the Imperial, had spoken to him. Vandover attended it. It was a debauch of forty-eight hours, the longest and worst he had ever indulged in. For a long time the brute had been numb and dormant. Now at last when he woke, he was raging, more insatiable, more irresistible than ever. The affair at the roadhouse was but the beginning. All at once Vandover rushed into a career of dissipation. Consumed with the desire of bite, the perverse, blind and reckless desire of the male. Drunkenness, sensuality, gambling, debauchery, he knew them all. He rubbed elbows with streetwalkers, with bookmakers, with saloon keepers, with the exploiters of lost women. The bartenders of the city called him by his first name. The policemen, the night detail, were familiar with his face. The drivers of the night hawks recognized his figure by the street lamps in the light of many an early dawn. At one time and another he was associated with all the different types of people in the low sporting set, acquaintances of an evening whose names grew faint to his recollection amidst the jingle of glasses and the popping of corks, whose faces faded from his memory in the haze of tobacco smoke and the fumes of whiskey, young men of the city, rich without apparent means of livelihood, women and girls recently from the east with rooms over the fast restaurants owners of trotting horses actresses without engagements billiard makers pool-sellers and the sons of the proprietors of half-way houses and resorts with all these vandover kept the pace at the imperial at the race track at the gambling tables in the saloons and bars along kearney and market streets and in the disreputable houses Amid the strong odours of musk and the rustle of heavy silk dresses. It lasted for a year. By the end of that time, he had about forgotten his determination to go to Paris and had grown out of touch with his three old friends, Ellis, Geary, and Haight. He seldom saw them now. Occasionally, he met them in one of the little rooms of the Imperial over their beer and Welsh rabbits, and now, He always went on to the larger rooms where one had champagne and terrapin. He felt that he no longer was one of them. That year the opera came to San Francisco, and Vandover hired a message boy to stand in line all night at the door of the music store where the tickets were to be sold. Vandover could still love music. In the wreckage of all that was good that had been going on in him, his love for his art was yet intact it was the strongest side of his nature and it would be the last to go the end of chapter 13 part 2